Well, good evening. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. In 2007 or 2008, I had the joy of sitting in this building and listening to the preaching of Dr. Roy Hargrave as he taught through Psalm 51. And I can assure you that I have never looked at Psalm 51 the same way again. But as the Lord would have it, uh, this pulpit has still remained just dear to our hearts. So uh, in response to the three C's that Pastor Brian mentioned, allow me to bring greetings from Cornerstone Broadcasting and to tell you the joy that it is to have Riverbend on the radio every week. I can tell you there are only a f few pulpits in this area that I encourage anyone to listen to. And this is one of them. And that's a gem and it's a jewel. And it's a faithful opportunity for many to hear the gospel regularly, whether it's Pastor Scott or Pastor Brian or any of the uh, men who faithfully preach and teach from this pulpit. And I know you know you're blessed, but from uh, the outside, it is a joy to, to know that this is a lighthouse of truth in Ormond Beach and beyond. With respect to Crosswalk Church, I certainly bring uh, greetings from Pastor Mitch and the elders there and the body there. We love our friendship. We love our kinship. And we are thankful for the um, just ongoing love that we have between these two churches. And I was just overwhelmed and blessed when Pastor Scott mentioned this opportunity to me a few weeks ago. Finally, from Christ Theological Seminary, wow, what a joy that was. A month ago, this very night, maybe this very moment, we were on the stage receiving those diplomas. And so how wonderful in the kind providence of God to be able to preach to you this evening. Let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 145. Psalm 145. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on this evening. Lord, we thank you for the joy of what we have already experienced in the singing of songs that point us to Christ, that encourage us in our labors. Lord, we don't want to sink our anchors into the sands of this world. We don't want to think even for a moment about the just the sadness of the fleetingness of this life because as we think about these things we have an opportunity to think beyond them even as we will think about tonight. We think of the kingdom of heaven of which we are already members of if we know your son and we can look forward to eternally uh, with the assurance that his everlasting kingdom of which he is now ruling and reigning over will be our experience forever and ever. What a wonderful thing to consider. And I ask tonight that you would bless your word. It is your word. It will not go forth without your blessing because you have stood over it to cause it to be everything that you would desire it to be, to not return, to return void to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My five-year-old or four-year-old actually asked us on the way here this evening so when is Jesus going to make the new heaven and the new earth? <laughs> and I thought, soon and very soon, little one. And she said, well, do you think he'll wait till after our vacation? <laughs> Which is in just a few weeks. I said, well, if he does, that's fine. But if he doesn't, that's fine as well. Well, I want to tell you a little bit about something, and that is a man named Steve Green. You might know the name Steve Green. He's actually sung, I believe, from this very stage. Steve Green is a Christian music artist, and well, many years ago, he produced a song that I love, and maybe you know it. It's called The Symphony of Praise. The Symphony of Praise. And in that song, he portrays a most spectacular picture. What he does for us is he portrays a picture of creation joining to worship the Lord. 
And he uses the imagery of an orchestra. By doing so, he depicts what he calls the composer and the conductor of the universe. And he says that this one guides his handiwork in a masterful piece of worship. The chorus of the song provides a crescendo, if you will, of the musical masterpiece describing the worship in this way. Listen to these words. It says, the symphony of praise conducted by the ancient of days may creation, great or small, lift their voices one and all in a symphony of praise. What a beautiful poem, if you will, that he put to song. It's a song, though, where it begins with the solo voice of Steve Green. And methodically, he is joined by the entire orchestra and a four-part choir. The symphony of praise summons something. It summons all who listen to join. It summons everyone who is there to listen and to participate in a resounding, growing moment of praise and worship. But there's a key to the success of the song. And the key is participation. The key is that each member of the orchestra and each member of the choir participate. Because if one instrument or if one vocal part is missing, the song's diminished. The work is incomplete. And so the song is just a gorgeous, growing ballad of musical perfection in my estimation. Well, tonight's scripture is very similar to that because it expresses a similar occasion of abounding worship as every member of God's creation is summoned to take part in a symphony of praise. Psalm 145 is a unique psalm. It's a unique song among the Psalter because it's not simply that it's unique. It's written by David. There are many of those. But it is unique in that it's the last song of David recorded in the book of Psalms. But it's a special song. If you even notice in the heading, it says it's a song of praise of David. Not simply a song of David or a psalm of David. It's a song of praise of David. That is unique. Here's a good way to think about it. It's David's song. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said of Psalm 145. He said it's David's. It's his very own. In fact, he said it's his favorite song. Because it is the crown jewel of praise. It is just a growing exaltation of God, his king. In Psalm 145, we have the king of Israel worshiping the king of the universe. We find the shepherd of God's sheep leading out in a marvelous song of adoration and praise. As he calls God's people to worship. Now think about it. As Christians... As men and women who know the Christ that David longed to see, the one who was prophesied to come through him, we have the highest honor and the greatest duty to praise and to worship, to sing songs and to be filled with the joy of the Lord as we sit before his word, reading, studying, listening to. Praise should always be upon our hearts because it should always be streaming from our hearts and passing through our lips. Our praise should be unending. It should be purposeful and it should be perpetual. And yet, wouldn't you say that there are times where you might say, that sounds great, but this Tuesday is just a dry day. My worship's weak. 
There are days when maybe you say, I can't even bring a tune to my lips. Well, in David's Psalm 145, he summons your heart. He summons my heart to worship the Lord. He summons everyone truly to come before Yahweh and to worship him. And so it's my prayer tonight that as we spend this time together, that the Lord will be pleased to stir up a fresh fervency in our own hearts. And that he, by his grace, would take these moments and he would kindle in us a white-hot worship that spreads beyond this room, that goes beyond even your own home, but spreads throughout your home, spreads throughout your family, spreads throughout the church, spreads through your workplace, spreads through our community, that the Lord would be praised, that we would join together in a symphony of praise. Stephen Lawson says this, Adoring the Lord should be the constant delight and the endless theme of the Christian." So that's our prayer tonight. Here in Psalm 145, God summons you to three kinds of praise. He summons you to three kinds of praise so that you might carefully consider, humbly obey, and richly benefit from a life filled with worship. And these calls that we will see tonight are personal. They're intensely personal. In fact, they're so personal that you can't miss this. You have a part to play. So it's not simply for your neighbor. It's not simply for the people who might be watching or listening on the live stream. It is for you. It is for me. It's a personal call from the Lord through the means of his servant David. And so if the full measure of God's symphony of praise is going to be had, then it will depend on your participation. The question is, do you believe that? And the question is, will you respond to that? Let's first consider your first summons, your summons to engage in personal praise. Now, I'm going to read this psalm in sections due to its length. But follow with me as we read verses 1 through 3. David says, I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. The song of David begins with a solo part. It's a solo part, very similar to the song I described a few moments ago. A personal adoration and exaltation. David says, I will exalt you. I will extol you. I will worship you. The king of Israel begins his song of praise by powerfully declaring his desire to worship and to raise and to lift high the name of Yahweh, the one true and only God. But it's his God. It's a personal statement. David humbles himself before the Lord and blesses the Lord with zealous fervor because he knows God not from a distance. He knows him personally. Think of it this way. Yahweh is not a God. He is the God he is David's God. Jesus is not only the Lord, he's not only the master, he's not only the savior. Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is he your savior? Is there a personal aspect to this? Can you say with David, I will exalt you, my God and my king? You see, David's worship flows from his journey and his walking with the Lord as he grows in the grace and knowledge of God. 
David loved the Word of God. He loved the Scriptures. And all you have to do is read through Psalm 119 for a 176-verse example of his adoration of God's Word, the way in which we know who God is. So in verse 1, David bends his knee in worship and resolves that he is going to bless the Lord. He's going to bless the Lord. How? Well, he's going to do it forever and ever. And then he says in verse 2, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. So David's relationship with God stimulates praise every day. Not once a week, not twice a week. You see, David has tasted, he has seen, he knows that God is good. And therefore, he has committed himself to responding to the goodness and glory of God that he knows through the word of God in worship every day. Without fail, it is his desire to honor and glory, glorify God. It should sound like what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 when he said, and whatever it is that you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You see, David's fellowship with Yahweh is immediately perceived. You can't miss this because he pours his heart out in such a way that he says, I'm not only going to bless you one time, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to do so forever and ever. Do we say that? Is this the kind of response that we have to Yahweh, to Christ, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is working in your heart and mind if you know him? What is your source of worship? Does your heart explode like David's does with an earnest expression to exalt him? Do you love to exalt Christ? I know you're encouraged to from this pulpit. And I know we were encouraged to every moment of every class that we enjoyed at Christ Theological Seminary. That's why I loved it so much. Because Christ was held high and worship was so clearly laid out before us. No matter what we were doing. Do you long to lift him high? Do you look forward to the opportunities that he provides you every day to praise him? Or are you looking on the horizontal plane? Are you looking at the things of the earth? Are you looking at the things that can cause us to be depressed, cause us to be overwhelmed, cause us to wonder, what is it that you are doing, oh God? Well, he calls us to worship him in the midst of all of those moments, in the midst of all of those emotions. His word directs us on how we are to respond. Where does this kind of passionate fervor come from? Well, David helps us to see just that. Look what he says in verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. You see, David's worship was the fruit of his heart and his life rooted in the greatness of God. Do you long to praise the Lord as David does? Then sink your teeth into the greatness of God. Meditate on his word. Love his word. As David said in Psalm 119, hide his word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. Plead with him that you would not presumptuously sin against him. David's trifold statement of the worthiness of God is a call for us to consider. He says, great is the Lord. God's immensity, his omnipotence, his omnipresence are in view here. Again, we can be so captivated by the things of this world And yet we have a God that has created all things. Maybe you know the name Dr. James R. White. A couple weeks ago he posted a picture online and it was a picture of the planet Mars. And he said, 
as he described this beautiful picture. This is just a small example of God's immensity and his greatness and his glory so that we little people on planet Earth might consider the fact that he manages not just our planet, but all the planets, all the universe, all the cosmos. That should calm the heart of the sheep of Christ, right? You see, God transcends everything. Nothing exists that is beyond his presence. He is the creator and possessor of all things. He is the one that heaven and earth cannot contain. He fills heaven and earth. And yet he is both near and far. Nothing is hidden from him. He sees all. He knows all. He is involved in all things. Can you say with David, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. And then he says, greatly to be praised. You see, this kind of reality of knowing who God is causes us to even greater worship. He's not only great, but he's greatly to be praised. In fact, his greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is so vast. It's so incomprehensible that no wonder in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who was also a man who loved the word, who loved the scriptures, who knew the Old Testament so well, bursts forth in doxology in Romans chapter 11. You know the words, don't you? Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his ways his judgments, and later in that same passage he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. You come to that passage and you just rejoice. You come to this passage and you can't help but overflow. Yes, David, amen. I will extol my God and my king. You see, God summons you. He summons me to passionate, personal worship. Will you respond? Will you respond? Have you already responded? Is there already a movement in your soul where you're responding to the word even as it's preached to you tonight? Does God's glory capture your heart as it did David's? The king of Israel, the mightiest man in the land, humbled before the great God of all things. Are we so overwhelmed by the glory and greatness of Jesus that we can't contain the wellspring of praise that the Holy Spirit causes to bubble up within us. When we meditate and read the word of God, when we think about the stories in the gospel, do you ever pause to reflect and think about the fact that you and I, as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is as if we are viewing it with the eyes of the theater of our mind. We often say, oh, to be a fly on the wall. You are greater than that because you've been given the picture. And you can imagine what it was like when he calmed the wind and the sea. When he healed the woman who had the issue of blood for years. When he called Lazarus to come from the grave. When he said, I am the great shepherd and I will not lose one of my sheep. The second thing I want you to consider tonight is to consider your summons not only to personal praise, but to spread corporate praise. You see, that's not simply the job of the gentleman whom I love who led us in worship tonight. It's not simply the job of the pastor who stands behind here in this pulpit or in a fellowship room in this facility. It is our responsibility as men and women of Christ to spread corporate praise. Look at the words that we find in verses 4 through 9. He says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. 
on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall sing forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. You see the next movement in David's song is this joyful melody of corporate worship. Verse 4 opens with the expectation of generational praise. One generation shall commend your works to another. David sings of the glory of generational worship. ...as the work of passing down the testimonies of God... ...which he describes as commending and declaring the works and the mighty acts of God. One commentator said, when we see that word works, we ought to think of words. The word of God commends to us the works of God and his mighty acts. Again, as I mentioned, whether you're reading in the Old Testament, the New Testament... We should be captured by the fact that these words on this page, preserved for you and I, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are given so that we might worship. That we might know our God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. God's greatness is seen in His perfect nature, in His manifold works, and in His divine ways. And he manifests these not in abstraction, but in concrete evidence and in historical record. We worship a God who is not silent. He is not a mute idol. He is a God who has spoken and a God who has acted. He is a God who has made himself known. And you do not need to worry who is our God. He has told us who he is and called us to respond in worship. His glory is always on display. It's not sometimes on display. It's always on display. You see, in the Bible, God's people were called to do something. And we're called to mimic this very thing. They were called over and over and over to pass down the testimonies of God's glorious work. It was true for them, and it's true for you, and it's true for me. In fact, think about it. Isn't this what we're after when we think about the role that we play in ministering to others in our family and ministering to others in the workplace and ministering to others in the church? Isn't this what we want to see? Isn't this why we spend time reading the Bible with our children, our grandchildren? Isn't this why we have a kids ministry and a youth ministry? Isn't this why we pray that God would make himself known through his word to our children As he has made himself known to us. How wonderful. This is a gift. Yes, it's a duty and responsibility, but it's a gift that you and I have an active opportunity to play in ministering to others. In our physical family, in our spiritual family. As we speak the word of God, as you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you tell those you know of the majesty of Christ, the glories of Christ, the marvelous things in scripture. Which caused us to think that is so supernatural. And it is. Because it's God. And he's made himself known in this world. And through his son. And through the spirit's work in our life. 
We must praise God for the gift of sharing his truth. And it should be our greatest joy to commend God's word and declare his mighty deeds to anyone who will listen. I'll commend to you at a later time to look at Psalm 78. And begin in verse 3 and read down through verse 7 and see how the psalmist talks about generational worship. But isn't it also true that in our day and in this culture, the pushback is incredible? We are told to be quiet everywhere in the public square and even in our own homes. Keep the religion to yourselves. In fact, don't even share that with your children. What a gift to the community that God has preserved, Riverbend Academy, to be able to not only herald truth concerning the various disciplines of education, but the gospel through those means and to those students every single day. I had a person tell me recently, how dare you say to me that I'm a sinner? How dare you look at me and say that I need to repent? You have, he said, no right to do that. Of course, the response to that is, oh, but I do. In fact, not only do I have a right to do that, I have a command to do that. I'm called to go and to come to you and to share the truth in hopes that your darkened eyes might be opened. That the deadness of your soul might, might be reversed through the gospel of Christ that the Holy Spirit takes and regenerates the soul with. Don't be afraid. We will face and we are facing and we shall face in the future much rejection, persecution even, pushback. But the word of God tells you and I to commend the work of God to the next generation. Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians chapter 5, the Proverbs, they're filled with these words of direction and praise. Verse 5, he continues in almost an antiphonal praise here as you have David and the congregation working together through the way that he words this. A beautiful display of corporate worship and it throttles up the song. It really does add some energy to this as we consider what he says here in verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of your might and awesome deeds. They or I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Now, notice these actions. David meditates on God's splendor, and the congregation speaks of his deeds. David declares God's greatness, and the congregation pours forth God's fame. He sings aloud of his righteousness. Can you sense the celebration of God's people in the corporate gathering? Don't you enjoy that here when you sing together? We love to sing on our own if you are a person who enjoys singing. But if you're in the congregation of the righteous, if you, if you come together and you have the music resounding around you, you're called upward. You want to sing. You want to enjoy and to engage. Why? Because it's satisf satisfaction that is found in God. Think about it, how wonderful it is that he has given us the gift of singing. That you get to lift your voice in praise. We get to lift our voice in praise. Do we see that as a joyful opportunity? Verses 8 and 9, we have now a quote, if you will, from Exodus chapter 34. The, the verses here help us to see that David and the people worship God for his covenant faithfulness. They worship God through the revelation of his word. He quotes that passage wherein God himself revealed who he was to Moses by uttering those very words. 
And we see his holiness. We see his righteousness. We see the fact that in that same passage, the Lord has said, listen, I am so holy, so perfect, so righteous that no one can even see me and live. The great and the mighty God, the one who is holy, 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 is also explained to us as gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He's patient. He's long-suffering and he's abounding in steadfast love. He is rich in love toward us. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy rests on all that he has made. What stunning news. What a beautiful passage to consider. The worthiness of God, the highest praise that is due him, the thanksgiving, the unending praise and worship. The fear and the reverence mingled together in these passages. Think about it. The sin debt that we have by very nature and that we have by very action should crush us into dust. It should crush us into dust. And yet the scripture tells us that God has shed his grace upon us. That his goodness abounds to the ends of the earth. That he has chosen for himself a people from every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And this good news demands something. It demands that we praise him. It demands that we do so personally. It demands that we do so corporately. It calls for us to take this message to the nations. To send forth missionaries. To go into the highways and the byways and to compel them to come in to worship. How wonderful. Do you know this worship? Are you singing in this symphony of praise? The final movement of this symphony, though, is the longest. And it's the grandest of them all. Because in this finale, we have the third and the final summons. And that is this. Consider your summons to join all creation in praise. Not only personal, not only corporate, but all of creation. Why? For his everlasting kingdom and for his matchless grace. We'll see both of those issued here for us in these verses. Listen as I read verses 10 through 20. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all of your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. And the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and give and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways. He is kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked... He will destroy. Your summons to join in corporate praise leads now to the summons to join in 
the praise of all creation. This final surge of triumphant worship begins with a trumpet blast, if you will, of the statement, all your works shall give thanks to you. O Lord, and all your saints will bless your name forever and forever. All creation joins together. Singing directly to God, they make known the glories of God. And how wonderful and how appropriate for you and for I that God's redeemed children have the opportunity to join with all creation in lifting high his majesty and lifting high this glorious government of God. This kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom, the splendor of the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, the dominion that endures for all generations. When we are tempted to gripe about the present world, when we are tempted to find ourselves in upheaval internally over the political strife and chaos that we see all around us, go to Psalm 2, rehearse Psalm 145, remind yourself Christ is king. He shall reign, not for four years, forever and ever and ever. You see, we do live in trouble sometimes, and we do not put our head in the sand. We look to the word of God for clarity and for direction and for wisdom. We know that we will face hardship and difficulty. We know that we will have to work through many issues in life, many struggles and troubles and trials of all kinds. Though scripture is not absent to tell us of these things, God is very honest to tell us of these things. But the reality is we do not sing the song of the first Adam. We sing the song of the second. You see, we sing the song of the lamb, the lamb who was slain and yet who is alive forevermore. And the one to whom Isaiah said, the government shall rest upon his shoulders forever. What a mighty God we serve. Do you know him? Do you worship him? Do you love him? And what's more, because of what Christ has accomplished through his life, his perfect life, don't simply think of his life as a life lived. It's a perfect life lived. Because if it hadn't been perfectly lived, then his death would not have accomplished anything and there surely would have been no resurrection. So it is his perfect life, his sacrificial, fully atoning death, And the glorious resurrection, these things which Christ has accomplished, cause us to confidently look forward and look beyond these days to the future day. Where we can ask, along with that little four-year-old who asked this morning, when is Christ going to make the new heavens and the new earth? Because I long to be there. I want to be there. Because this is the kingdom of righteousness. This is the kingdom that lasts forever and forever. God summons us to join all creation in praising him for his everlasting kingdom. The great news of God's glorious government, though, is not all that that David helps us to see here. He takes us from this great and glorious view and zooms in in this final focus of the symphony of praise. The full orchestra now at fever pitch, the vocalists raising their voices to the highest of the heavens. And they converge on these themes with God's matchless grace. Look at verses 14 through 20 again and notice what we see here. God is worshiped as the only God who is not only transcendent, but he is intimately working in the lives of all that he has created. 
all that is he has created. How wonderful and how marvelous it is that he is faithful to his creation. And this is true in both common grace and saving grace. This is the way in which he governs his world to prevent it and to preserve it until that day when he will judge it and for the way in which he moves your life and my life along the path of what Ephesians 1 tells us is his perfect purpose. How beautiful it is to know that this song is not over until David rehearses these things. The provision of God the nearness of God, the salvation of God, and yes, even the wrath of God does not escape David's worship. Remember that. This is David's worship that we are looking at. This is his worship. And so let us consider these things. Verse 14 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling down, and he raises all who are bowed down. He upholds and he lifts. I say it to our congregation almost every time I have an opportunity to preach, we need to be reminded regularly that we are needy and dependent people. That's the message from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. You need me. Will you submit to my word? Will we submit to our word? Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Do you know the God who upholds when you are falling down? Do you know the one who he lifts you up when you are bowed low? Verse 15 says, the eyes of all look to you. You see, the wise shepherd of our souls providentially cares and makes provision for every need we have. He gives them their food in due season. God provides in his time and in his way in the best way, in the wisest way. We don't need to fear. We're called to not be anxious Indeed, we're called to trust in the Lord. How? With all of our hearts. Not to lean on our understanding, but what? To acknowledge him in all of our ways, knowing that he will direct our path. Knowing that, as Paul said, my God shall supply all my needs, all your needs, he said, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you read God's record and say, that's not only true for the Israelites. It's not only true for the early church. It is true for me. It is true for my family. It is true for this church. I can worship him. I can praise him. I can join with creation who trusts in his provision. But also true satisfaction. It says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Bible tells us in Psalm 14 that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And yet, how amazing is it that even the fool is treated mercifully by God because he provides what he needs in his season. He satisfies the desire of every living thing, but this is most evident and most true in the person of Christ alone. Because when we need satisfaction, when we need his mercy and his grace, he is there to provide it. When we find ourselves in the moments where we are weary, we don't have to speak against it because it's negative words. We acknowledge it and take it to him and say, I am weak. I am weary. I am heavy laden. And I am going to obey the word of God that says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. You take the word of God, you hear it, you meditate upon it, you memorize it, you obey it, you respond to it. 
Come and drink of the living water. Come and feast upon the bread of life. Isn't it a beautiful song? In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and what? My song. My song. Is he your song? Is he your song? Verse 17, it says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways. He is kind in all of his works. He's perfect. He's perfect. He is righteous. He is just. He is the great and glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And we come to Jesus because the Holy Spirit has done something, friends. Do you know, and I know you do, that if you've come to Christ tonight, if you've seen that he is worthy of your life, he is worthy of your worship, that he is the one who satisfies, that he alone is sufficient, you've done so because the Holy Spirit of God has caused you to see him that way. To where we must worship. We must say with the Apostle Peter, where else am I going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. 18, it says he's near. He's near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who upholds the entire world by the word of his power, the one who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived and died and was raised again, and who saved you and who saved me, is near to us when we call on him. He's always with us, he says. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is the good shepherd. And he said, I have not lost one of what the Father's given me. Does that give you hope? In those moments of weakness, in those moments of sinfulness, in those moments where you have to cry out and say, Lord, I have fallen short today in a great way. In a marvelous way. I'm, I'm so unworthy of your mercy and grace. Always. But today especially Lord. It is even hard to lift my face to you. I confess my sin. The good shepherd. Picks you up. Washes you clean. He reminds you of his work. He reminds you of his grace. And he reminds you that you are his forevermore. Verse 19. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him and he hears their cry and saves them. Our God is all that we need. He fulfills, he hears, he is our all in all. As the song says, you are my strength when I am weak. You are the shelter that I seek. You are my all in all. Friends, he's worthy not only of praise, but of triumphant praise. As I said a minute ago, this song is at fever pitch. At this point, we ought to be shouting with the chorus that is being sung. The Lord is great and glorious. And then he says in verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all of the wicked he will destroy. You see, the Lord keeps us, he protects us, he guards us eternally. But... He will destroy the wicked. He is just. He is righteous. No unclean thing will stand before him. And it will be an eternal judgment because the wrath of God would require an eternity to be exhausted. He is holy. He is just. He is not to be trifled with. He is to be worshipped. He is 
God Almighty. He is the one we love and worship and praise. All of a sudden, our song comes to just a spotlight on the stage, doesn't it? Look at verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And with those words, the song of creation resolves in these last words to the soloist as he says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Will your mouth speak the praise of the Lord? I hope you realize that you are summoned. Not some of you. Each one of you are summoned to participate in the symphony of praise. You are soloists of sorts, whether you like it or not. Because your life impacts people every day. Every day. And so remember that you are summoned. That I am summoned to personal praise. But that's not all. We're not Lone Ranger Christians. Because as a member of Christ's body, you join in congregational praise of God's gathered people. You play a vital part. Do you know this? That you're a vital part of this church. Not simply a member who comes, not simply a person who attends. You are a vital part of this church. Why? Because you add to the collective work of praising God in many and various and sundry ways. You play a vital role in God's plan for this church. In the way that he expresses his son through the community, through people like yourself. And you come together and you encourage one another and you worship together and you glorify God. Not only personally, but recognizing, oh no, it's not just me worshiping. It's my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Remember that you are summoned to corporate praise. And finally, as one of God's crowning creations, as the one of whom he blessed so marvelously, uniquely gifted and created in his image and in his likeness, you are qualified now by God's grace to join all creation in praise. You and I are called to be mouthpieces along with the word of God on our lips and the works of God as our testimony and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not only the mountains and the rivers and the trees that praise the Lord. It's the people of God that praise the Lord. Recognizing and remembering that you are summoned to join with all creation and praise. But the question remains, do you know him? Because if you do not know him, if you have not come to saving faith in Christ alone, if this seems foreign to you, and yet it seems attractive to you, that this is something missing in your life, then fear the Lord. Understand that at this moment you are the person that he will destroy if you don't repent and trust in him. Trust in Christ today, not tomorrow, not the next day, not when the year of your determined Destiny rolls around, come now. Today is a day of salvation. Trust in Christ today. Worship personally, worship corporately, worship with all creation. And you too may read Psalm 145 in a new and a fresh way. And I hope that we will. Let's pray. Oh God, we will extol you because you're our God and you're our King. We want to commend your glory from one generation to the next. Lord, we want our mouths to speak the praise of the Lord and bless your holy name forever and ever.
And we thank you that it is by your grace and for your glory that we can do this. It's by your Spirit's work in our hearts. We have no ability in of ourselves, and yet you work in us to worship you. You work in us to see you and your glory and your majesty. Day by day, year by year, decade by decade, all of life and unto eternity. For we will stand before you perfect on that day in the new heavens, in the new earth, free from sin, free from distraction, free from the struggles of life to worship you in perfection. And we long for that day. But I pray, O oh Lord, that, Father, we would not look at Psalm 145 the same way, but that we would hear your summons to personal and to corporate and to creative, creation-filled praise. It's for Jesus' sake, our King. It's for his gospel's sake that we pray. And I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this ministry that you have, these elders that you have placed over this wonderful church, the ministries that go forth all around the world. Because this is a people who say, we will extol the Lord and save anyone now who is here tonight or listening or watching or will in the days ahead who don't know you. Oh Lord, we thank you. We are not worthy, but we are thankful. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.